Hello and welcome back to the Arsenal One Game at a Time podcast. I'm your host Dylan and on today's episode I'll be talking about Arsenal's 0-0 draw to Burnley at home which carries on our poor form since the turn of the year where we have not managed to win a single game and scored just one goal against Man City right at the start of the year. And this January has been pretty awful. I mean, we've been knocked out of both the domestic cups and have started to slip a little in the league after a really encouraging um, lead up to to Jan. I was thinking about this earlier, and it is quite mad how football can change so drastically in the space of a month. You know, in December, we were playing beautiful, attacking, swashbuckling football, if you will, scoring for fun. And now we can't hit a barn door. Uh, we also you know, don't get the opportunity to rectify the draw anytime soon because we now head into a mid-season break slash winter break, whatever you want to call it. So our next game isn't for about two weeks or so. Uh, I don't like heading into the break on a draw as we've just got to mull over a frustrating result for two weeks. Uh, but I suppose at least by the time the Wolves game comes around, we can expect to get more of our squad back and up to full fitness. Arteta confirmed in his post-match press conference that the squad will head to Dubai for a training camp before the Wolves game. And you can only hope that perhaps getting away from London Colney for a bit and you know the different environment helps the team so that they're sharp and ready to go before like the, the Wolves game. And you know from then onwards, we just need to treat every match like it's a cup final if we uh, want to achieve our ambition of making it into the top four. Onto the Burnley game specifically, and the match went like how most games against Burnley go, I suppose, with them sitting in a low block with no real interest to go and win the game, and it was always going to be about whether we could have the moments in the game to unlock their defence, but we ended up just being too predictable, giving the ball to Saka and Martinelli, expecting them to conjure up a moment of magic rather than you know, using their skill and then in front of them making clever runs to give them other options. Uh, we dominated the game in terms of possession and, you know, for the things that the performance lacked, I still thought we should have gone and won the game with the chances that we created. Uh, there was a real lack of urgency, I thought, in the game, apart from, you know, maybe midway through the second half where we really turned it on and had a few chances created in succession, but I don't think it was sustained for long enough. Uh, The big chance that we had fell to Lacazette after some great work from Emil Smith-Rowe on the left wing who sprinted past Tarkovsky and served it up on a plate for Lacazette who, I mean, you couldn't really ask for a better better pass from Emil Smith-Rowe and uh, Lacazette stabbed it wide. Besides that chance, we had some others um, that, you know, not as big, but... Chances nonetheless, Odegaard, he nearly repeated uh, his free kick that he scored at Turf Moor early in the season, but this time it was slightly wide and high. Uh, Shortly after that, we played a really well-worked corner, uh, which Odegaard was the source of again, drilling his delivery into the 18-yard box where Emil Smith-Rowe unmarked shot first time and forced Pope into making a good save. Uh, when I watch games like this, like I can't help but think like or wish that we had players like Giroud still or just a target man striker to mix things up so that we can lump the ball forward to them and 
give Burnley's defenders something else to worry about because we were putting so many crosses into the box quite bizarrely, I thought, because you know, it was it was almost like we've forgot that our striker stands at five foot seven and isn't exactly a man mountain. In terms of individual performances, I wouldn't say there were too many standouts really. I thought that Odegaard was very good. Uh, as he has been for the last few months, really. He's been arguably our best player uh, during that period. And he impressed again today, or yesterday, should I say, against Burnley, controlling the tempo of the game from midfield and creating plenty of chances. Saka also looked very dangerous on the wing and he had the beating of Peters. Uh, he Saka had a shot from our counter-attack where he curled it just wide and he had a few half chances here and there. We we found Saka in space quite a lot um, and switched the play to him after, you know, I noticed Odegaard was vacating the half space on, on that side, uh, which left Saka isolated or with options to run at the fullback. And he did that very well, but it was just the final product that, that wasn't there from Saka today. Uh, was forced to cut in to take shots and they just didn't come off. There wasn't much movement ahead of him. And I kind of think he, I guess he took it upon himself to deliver that moment of magic, but it, it wasn't there today. Uh, ben White also, I thought he, he played very well considering, you know, he was moved out to the right back slot in place of the injured Tommy Asu, uh, which he, a role that Ben White played in the Norwich game back in December, oh, the month of December. Hey? Back when we could actually score goals. Like, why does that feel so long ago now? Um, but yeah, Ben White was good. Uh, he hit switches a play and his overall distribution was, was excellent. There were, however, a few performances that were not so great. And I'll start with Lacazette, who was... Like, he was... <laughs> there's times when he, you know, he drops back to link the play, but... There are games like this and happened in the Liverpool game as well where he's so like deep in our own half that if when we do counter or when we are attacking, there's just no option for our wingers to find someone in the box. And he was easily marked out of the game by the Burnley central defenders. Uh he did have a good run in the first half, but predictably dragged his shot wide. And in the second half, he had that great chance set up from the Emil Smith Rowe cutback, which I talked about earlier. And again, his shot went wide. I, I do like Lacazette. I really do like him because, you know, he's he stepped up with Aubameyang being out of the team. And I like the way that he leads the team and mentors the younger players at the club. But He's never been a clinical finisher, and his finishing seems to be getting worse. Uh, I thought our attack in general was pretty poor, to be honest, so I don't want to single out um, Lacazette. Like Martinelli often held onto the ball a little too long, and we didn't find him in central areas often enough, like how we did in the Leeds game, for example, where I think you know that's where, he, when he takes up those inside forward positions, I think that's where he's, he's most dangerous. Uh, and, you know, he wasn't able to impact the game in an offensive sense today. Uh, I didn't think that Tierney was that good either. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I love Tierney because 
yeah, well, a number of reasons. His attitude, work rate, defensive qualities. And he was fine defensively against Burnley. But a few times when we do, or when we did get into good attacking positions, as we did against Burnley on, on a number of occasions, his final cross, pass or shot just wasn't there. And that delivery is something he needs to work on because it's not. this is not an isolated thing. I'm just talking about this game. There have been, there have been a number of games in the past where... As much as I like Tierney, I do think at times his final ball could be could be better. Although I don't know, that could be like I've been watching quite a lot of Liverpool uh, lately, and like I think just seeing the way that the attack gets funneled through the wing for Liverpool and the key role that Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robertson have in their chance creation, maybe that's making me. <laughs> expect too much of our fullbacks, uh, and it yeah that that's probably like maybe I've got that idealistic image of what an attacking fullback is now, and uh, so I'm maybe like that that is influencing my expectations a little bit, but you know there is still a level above that i think Tierney can get to in terms of that final delivery that is you know probably won't be to the level of Trent Alexander and Robertson because for me they're next level in terms of that attacking fullback but i think that Tierney can improve that aspect of his game and uh you know make better decisions in those moments i also thought that like at times he didn't release the ball quick enough to Martinelli who made a lot of clever runs inside or on the overlap. Uh, I also thought that Ramsdale again, he looked a bit dodgy today and he didn't deal with crosses as well as he should have on a few occasions. One moment in particular that I remember was when he punched the ball out for a cross when he probably could have caught it and the ball could have ended up being diverted in by a Burnley player but fortunately Holding was there to clear it out. I mentioned it in the last pod, but sometimes I feel like with Ramsdale, he, he needs to reel it in a little. Like, again, Ramsdale is another player who's he's been a breath of fresh air at Arsenal, the way he's sealed or taken the number one spot from Burnt Leno and really made it his own. And he's got a lot of great qualities and he's been brilliant since he's been in the team. But just of late, he's been a little bit, I don't know, some errors sl- slightly starting to creep into his game and he's not maybe looking as assured as he has in the past. And, yeah, I just feel like at times he almost gets overexcited and agitated, and I think that maybe starting to pervade into his goalkeeping a little. I also want to discuss uh, Westwood's yellow card because there's been a lot of chat chatter about the incident online. Was it actually a red? Did the referee get it wrong? And if you want answers to those questions, well, you're in luck because I I have no clue. Um, no, nah, I'm joking. But I, I think it's personally, I think it's a a definite yellow and close to being a red. Like I can see that being given as a red, but it's it's up in the air for me. Like it's not as clear as it, it's not clear as day red, but I would probably expect it to be given a red more times than not uh with the incident itself Martinelli uh passed the ball back to Tierney but it was a little short and so Tierney had to stick out his leg to safely or to get to the ball first and safely pass the ball back to Mart- to, to Gabriel 
And in that incident, Westwood stepped on Tierney's leg, which, you know, at the time watching it live, it didn't look great at all. Seeing it on the replay, it looked even worse. And, you know, I've seen lesser incidents uh, been given reds. And the fact that it it wasn't even looked at afterwards did surprise me. Um, actually, you know what? It's Arsenal. So maybe that the fact that it wasn't looked at shouldn't have surprised me. Uh, Westwood had his studs showing though, so and like he he didn't get get anywhere near the ball, and it, you know it could have been a bad injury. So thankfully, or bad you know for Kieran Tierney. So thankfully, he's all right and was able to carry on playing. I th- I think that one of the reasons why it was given a yellow potentially is because Tierney wasn't in control of the ball and you know had to lunge to reach it, so the ball was up for grabs in that sense, but. I don't know when you go in like that you are asking for trouble and I've seen you know countless of those given red before uh Westwood also sort of elbowed Gabrielle after that uh incident a little bit later which you could argue should have been another yellow so I think Burnley were lucky to have stayed with 11 men for the entire game I also found it I also found it strange how the referee seemed to not care about the time-wasting of Nick Pope before any of his goal kicks, which started in the first half like and carried all the way through to the end of the game. Uh, you could see Arteta remonstrating with the fourth official throughout the game about the time-wasting, but I don't think the referee even cautioned Pope about it, which, again, was bizarre. Uh, how, however, we still should be beating Burnley at home, regardless of you know, any of those decisions that I mentioned and yeah I don't want to seem like I'm whining about those decisions or anything but I think it should be pointed out because the refereeing at times in the Prem is is concerning to say the least Uh, when I think about games or try and analyze games I don't like to look at the decisions too much because I guess I just have the idea that you know these even themselves up or these you know controversial decisions or whatever you want to call them they they even up at the end of the season so there's an element of balance there but it does feel like with Arsenal we don't get the rub of the green that other teams get um for the bands you know after our next red card the player they get sent off I reckon they should should do a Balotelli and take off their shirt to reveal a why always Arsenal shirt in this instance since the game has ended I've been asking myself whether we can still get top four or if the door is perhaps starting to close on that dream. And looking at the table, Chelsea, they've done us a massive favour by being beating Spurs. So if Tottenham win their game in hand, we'll only be three points behind them. And if we win our game in hand, we'll go above Man United. So as doom and gloom as the Burnley result seems... In the context of our top four ambitions, it's really not the end of the world because we're still there or thereabouts at this moment in time. However, without any reinforcements brought in uh, during this last week of the transfer window, I think we can say goodbye to any chance of getting a Champions League place. Uh, We've witnessed over the last few weeks that our squad is on the brink and we just do not have any options on the bench to liven things up. Points-wise, as I mentioned, we're still in contention, but the the depth of the squad, uh, depth of our squad relative to 
uh, are competitors for the top four places, such as a Man United, definitely worry me. Like on the bench for United at the weekend, they were sport for choice for who they could have brought on with options like Cavani, Rashford, Martial, Lingard. It really is night and day to what we have. Uh, with with Tottenham, I'm not as worried about their squad depth, and I think that when we are fully fit, we have our players back from AFCON, we probably have a more complete, more rounded squad, but they have one of the best managers in world football at the helm who can you know, more than make up for that with his experience and you know, excellent tactical knowledge and just that winning mentality that he has. As this month has gone on, uh, letting go of Ainsley Maitland-Niles so early in the window looks like a, a poor decision because while I like that we are doing right, we're doing right by the player and getting him his move early and enabling him to play football, having an extra option in midfield would have been invaluable during this month. Am I saying that we would have got through in the FA Cup, the Carabao Cup, and beat Burnley if Ainsley Maitland-Niles was on the pitch or in the squad? No, that's not what I'm saying. But it certainly would have eased the load on certain players and given us more of a chance to rotate over this period. Uh, it also made makes me ask whether Arsenal as a club need to be more selfish in situations like this where players want to go out on loan. Like, should we be looking at the situation and ensuring that we have already brought a player in first so that we have cover for that position? Just like what Juventus are doing right now in the case of Arthur Mello. You know, they're playing hardball and they're not making it easier for us. And, you know, that that's totally fair because although he's not really in the plans of Allegri, they're trying to be smart and plan ahead and they're not letting him go because they haven't got a replacement in Uh, me personally I like the way that Arsenal operate you know with class and usually we try to do right by the player and uh, for Ainsley Maitland-Niles I imagine that he must have been desperate to play football so Arsenal let him go as soon as possible and, and like facilitated the move but there is something to be said I think for not letting that niceness almost I don't know, become a weakness in a way. Small things like this from a competitive standpoint, they can, you know, have an impact. And would keeping Ainsley Bentley-Niles for a few extra games to ease the burden on the squad have helped us? I certainly think so. But but yeah, again, I respect the club's decision on letting Ainsley Bentley-Niles go early in the window. And I think the real issue here is the lack of foresight into replacements. Uh, but also, yeah, maybe a, a bit of a naivety on the part of Edu and Arteta. The club's business in the summer transfer window was excellent, but this January window, it, it looks like we've been perhaps a tad optimistic and naive that you know, we could land our main target in Vlahovic. And now that the moves look like, it, you know, now that the Vlahovic move looks like it will not materialize, we don't seem to have any backups with Vlahovic, I can understand that we haven't got it over the line as it was always going to be an outside shot or always going to be a long shot for us to get the move done in January. And I personally don't think that we should be panic buying uh, a striker that we are not really going to want in the long term in terms of alternatives for Vlahovic, like right now. 
So whilst we really do need a striker, and it would be great if we could get one by the end of the January window, I'm fine with reintegrating Aubameyang into the squad and holding off the striker purchase until the summer. But for our midfielder targets, you would have expected there to be better plans and foresight in place because we heard early on that the midfielders we were targeting were too important for their teams for them to move to us in January and so the next best alternative was to settle for players that we weren't you know dead set on but still had quality and could do a job for us on a six-month loan Uh, also I've been hearing is the Arthur Mellor rumors for a while now and it looks like We've we've placed all our eggs in that basket, hoping that Juventus will will you know give him to us. But you know, as I mentioned, they've got to look out for their own interests, and they're not going to budge on that until they get a replacement. And so, focusing on that one player, it's not smart planning. I am hopeful that there are some transfers going on behind the scenes that we're not you know pre or we haven't heard of in the media. Um, that's always a possibility, but just going off of what you know, information we're receiving from outlets and stuff, it does look like we're very one-track-minded at the moment, and that's you know, that's not that's not good, I don't think. I also want to touch on the suspicious betting patterns that reported on by the Athletic last week, and there has been some new information that has come to light with another article from the Athletic saying that a bookmaker received approximately £310,000 worth of bets in cryptocurrency for a yellow card received by an Arsenal player and flagged it to the international betting watchdog about the suspicious betting patterns. These bets would have led to a payout of a whopping £780,000. Uh, there's also an article that I've read in the Times which stated that Granite Xhaka's yellow card against Leeds in December is said to be what the FA are focusing on before deciding whether to conduct a formal investigation but that there is no suggestion of any wrongdoing by an Arsenal player. According to the Times, there was a bet of £52,000 placed on Xhaka getting booked in the last 10 minutes against Leeds away from home on December the 19th uh, through a betting exchange. I don't want to jump to conclusions or anything, but, you know, Xhaka has... He does have a a poor poor disciplinary record, so could it have just been a case of betters you know taking advantage of Xhaka's ill discipline and the fact that he does accumulate a lot of yellow cards it could be uh but you know I'm just speculating again we have a bit more information now so can maybe try and ascertain what's going on but I imagine that it's the amounts that were bet which you know still raise suspicions for a lot of people uh and with the £52,000 bet, you know, the limited time frame that was left for a yellow card to be dished out to Xhaka is something that is is slightly worrying. I am happy, though, to see that, you know, at this stage, the, the FA sources are saying there is no suggestion of wrongdoing by any Arsenal player, according to the Times article. Uh, like, when I read that, I, I kind of just, I don't know, I just had a sigh of relief I suppose because as I talked about in the last pod 
uh, we want honesty and integrity in the sport and no club or player will want a dark cloud like that hanging over them. Now, I'll be interested to see how this story develops, though, in the in the coming weeks. Quickly back to the actual football, though. Uh, well, there won't be any football for Arsenal for quite some time, which is a bit sad. And you know, when we do get back, we've got Wolves away, which is a tricky test. Like, they've been very solid this year defensively, especially at their patch. Like, I feel... It's it's kind of gone under the radar how well they've been doing this season. Perhaps this maybe it's a style of play, not exactly the most exciting, but they've done really well. And they're currently in eighth, just two points behind us. So this will be a really a really tough test. Uh, we're gonna have to be at our best to beat Wolves, and even then we may only eke out a 1-0 win because of their miserly defense so I'm hoping that we get some of our injured players back you know we're back up to full fitness the squad's all ready to go Uh, but anyways uh, thank you for listening to the Arsenal one game at a time podcast I've been your host Dylan for a general Arsenal discussion and to stay up to date with the latest on the pod please follow at Arsenal OGAT on Twitter I'll be back in a couple of weeks after the Wolves game, but because that is quite a while away, there may be an episode discussing our January transfer window activity, or lack of it, depending on what happens in the last week of the window. And yeah, on that note, Edu, Arteta, please do some business. Cheers. Thank you.